0: Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your You can't scream. You Hi, can folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't dictate it. And as always, during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, from my personal mobile studio, which is my 2006 .5 Jetta Diesel TDI, 70 miles an hour and 44 miles to the gallon without hybrid technology, due to the German fuel-efficient diesel motor that powers it. Anyway, the big difference today is this is once again an afternoon podcast. A pre-dictated podcast because as you're listening to this, I am somewhere in the Washita uh, Mountains, uh, north of Hot Springs, Arkansas, at my remote bug-out location, with just about all the comforts of home except internet because I'm not going to pay the satellite internet access fee until we go there for good. So what I did is, I, as I promised you, I pre-recorded some shows this week. And you should be listening to this show on Thursday, March the 12th, 2009, if you've downloaded it on the day it was published. For those that listen every day, there will be no show tomorrow. I'm sorry uh, I was able to stack two shows additional in this week and leave you only hanging for one day. Uh, but going, uh, going forward, we'll try to get back to the everyday model. And thanks to the support of folks who have joined the Member Support Brigade, it may be this year that the Survival Podcast is going to turn into a full-time endeavor for me. And uh, the Member Support Brigade should open again sometime next week for all. And there should be tons of new video footage from Arkansas added to that member's area and a lot of really great things planned. There are some exciting things going on with the Survival Podcast. I'm going to go ahead and do all the house cleaning at the beginning of the show uh, because it seems to work out better that way. Uh, number one, Region 5, we are having a get-together. for This is residents of states of Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, uh, maybe New Mexico. I'm not sure what all Region 5 is, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if you want to come, you are welcome. This will be Memorial Day weekend somewhere around Gulfway, Texas, is where it looks like the location is going to end. End up being as I change lanes and cut a guy off who doesn't want me to get over. I don't understand that, uh, but occasionally you guys get to hear me talk about it. Anyway, so that uh, is an open invitation. I'm going to say it every day, right up until it occurs. Uh, another really cool new neat thing. I was contacted by a representative from Wilderness Way Magazine, and I will be. Uh, I think it's called Silver Lake in California for a week in August, toward the end of August, right at the end of summer vacation, uh, for a week-long survival workshop. I will be one lecturer among well over a dozen, I believe, and there will be things from bronze making to bow making to uh, wilderness survival schools. It's really cool. There's a, uh, a forum uh, thread started on it with the link to the website about it. And uh, I'll try to get that into the show notes if I remember to do it when I publish the show this evening. Uh, I'm going to be in a rush this evening because I'm going to have to get everything ready to get out the door tomorrow morning very, very early on my way up to the uh, bug out location. Uh, So that pretty much uh, clears out the house cleaning. We get into today's subject. Today's subject is going to be, well, what exactly is the difference between survival gardening and just gardening? And We talk a lot about having a garden at the Survival Podcast, and there's a lot of people out there that have gardens that have absolutely no interest in survivalism or self-sufficiency or sustainability or anything green or eco-friendly. I mean, they they just have a garden because they have a garden. So is there any difference between the two of them? Actually, I I think there is, especially today. Now, if you asked me this question in 1915, I would probably tell you there ain't a hill of beans difference between Sam the Gardener and Joe the Survival Gardener. I don't even think there was a person that thought about it from a survival context exclusively. In 1915, in America anyway, gardening is just what you did so you had some food, and that's pretty much survival gardening in a nutshell, right? But today, people do it for a hobby. They do it because it's cool. They do it for dietary choices. They do it for a lot of reasons. So you might look in Sam's backyard, and he has a little garden plot. And You might look in Joe's backyard, and Joe has a little garden plot. And to the outside observer, you might not really notice much difference between the two of them. But if one is a modern survivalist and the other one isn't, especially if the modern survivalist is really using his gardening as a component of his survival philosophy. Philosophy, survival mentality, and modern self-sufficiency, there'll be some differences. So let's talk about what some of those might be. Number one, the survivalist gardener will garden with sustainability in mind. In other words, he'll probably garden organically, and he won't just garden organically because it's a cool thing to do, or because it's eco-friendly, or because it's healthy. He'll garden organically because if he begins the process of organic gardening, it begins to produce its own compost, uh, or ac- acquire composting materials through barter and or trade without actually spending money on them. Maybe keeping some sort of small livestock like rabbits or chickens to provide manure for composting, uh, go buy coffee shops and get throwaway coffee grounds and different things like that, even if his income dries up and blows away, uh, as long as there's some money, at least to put some gas in the tank to go pick the barter stuff up, he'll be able to keep going. He won't be relying upon people like miracle Grow, Home Depot, and Lowe's to keep his garden afloat. So he'll use an organic model. Not so much because, again, he's trying to save the planet, but because he wants to have a sustainable system that will continue to produce for him or her if everything goes to crap, that if, if the shit hits the fan, he'll still be able to produce. So that's one of the big differences between the survival gardener and the casual or the hobby gardener. Now, don't think that you have to do all these things to be a survival gardener. This is taking it to the max, so to speak, okay? Uh, um, another thing, though, is the survival garden will be set up and designed for maximum productivity throughout the seasons. There will be winter crops, spring crops, summer crops, and fall crops. He will grow something in the winter in all but the harshest climates. And even in the harshest climates, when there's no way at all to grow anything in the ground, he'll be doing it inside of a greenhouse or some sort of solar room or something like that. Uh, There will be a maximum plan to ensure productivity. Activity as many months out of the year as possible. Where the hobbyist gardener is probably content to throw some plants in the ground in the spring, harvest them in the summer, maybe the plants that don't make it through to fall, he'll pull out of the ground and plant something else, and that'll be about it. Where the, uh, the survival gardener maybe will follow something like square foot gardening, where each plant, as soon as it comes out of the ground, something goes back in, and we do a little bit of prep for that area, and we're replacing it. So that's one of the things that will be a huge differentiator between someone that sees gardening as a way to sustain their lifestyle, sustain their diet, versus somebody that just wants, you know, some fresh tomatoes, some fresh cucumbers, a little bit of lettuce and dill, and uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, a zucchini or two out of their garden. Uh, that, that's, you know, be the one type of person where the other person is going to want to make sure that they're producing enough to have 40 50 60% of their diet. Uh, maybe, or more produced from their garden. The next thing is a survivalist gardener is going to be growing a lot of, you know, the fresh green type things, the stuff that needs to be eaten fresh, but they're also going to be growing a lot of things that have potential for storage. So the survivalist gardener uh, is a lot more likely, let's say, to grow a few uh, hills or tubs or tires full of potatoes than the non-survival gardener because potatoes have the ability to be stored either through the dehydration process or simply, you know, dry stored in a root cellar or something like that. Uh, the survival gardener is going to be a lot more likely to grow a type of corn uh, that can be hardened and shelled off than the, uh, the hobbyist gardener who would just simply grow a variety of sweet corn that is what it is. You harvest it, you eat it, you do that soon, or it's gone. Uh, the survivalist gardener is going to be a lot more likely to plant things like green beans, snow peas, uh, broccoli, high-volume productivity crops that can be then uh, blanched and frozen and, and uh, stored for... For future use, or canned, uh, or dehydrated. So that's one of the big differences. The survivalist gardener is not just growing a garden that produces enough to consume while the garden is in its time of plenty. He's also thinking, how can I produce more than I can possibly use today, and produce specific crops and varieties that are going to make storing the uh, the material easier for me to do. Uh, A survival gardener may be a hell of a lot more likely to grow beets than a casual gardener. Uh, Beets will store well in a root cellar, or beets can be pickled. So you get the picture that the survivalist gardener is thinking beyond, you know, corn on the 4th of July. He's thinking, how can I not only succession plant so I have a complete, sustainable, constant productivity of fresh vegetables, but I can also produce things that will store well, so that I can make that part of my storage so my storage isn't all mountain house, pasta, beans uh, and rice, it's also fresh produced garden produce the survivalist gardener is also going to be a lot more likely to systematize components of his gardening, systematize irrigation uh, systematize things like weeding, uh, systematize things like crop rotation uh, overall hobbyist gardener, and the main reason is to the hobbyist gardener if my tomato plant doesn't do very well this this month then I'm just going down to the supermarket to buy some more tomatoes and the survivalist you know, during good times where you can just go down to the store and buy some more tomatoes may take the same approach but it's not his mentality. His mentality is I need to make sure that this thing produces and I need to learn from my mistakes while I'm doing it while I can afford to have mistakes because this is going to be an asset at some point my family might rely on from something as simple as I've lost my job and uh, we have to cut our expenses, so we're going to really rely on this more than we would normally. Or something catastrophic, such as we've been locked down due to a quarantine, and we can't go to the grocery store, and this is our source of fresh food during that period, or something even worse. There's a mentality there that is more about a need, a necessity, and seeing the garden as an asset, rather than just something that you kind Kind of do and you enjoy, and boy, that heirloom tomato tastes better than that store bought tomato. That mentality is a huge part of the difference between the two. Survival Gardener is probably a lot more likely to do intensive. Cropping as well. And what I mean by intensive is making maximum use of the space and the resources that are available. And what I mean by like by that would be something along the lines of a lot of people are getting into doing more container gardening. Even people that have the space in the ground that do it, just because there's a lot of advantages and there's a lot of ease of use. And if you start to end up in a situation where maybe you have too much wind, it's easier to move your plants and save them from the wind. Or if it gets too hot, you can move them to a bit of a cooler location uh, by giving them a little bit of partial shade or something like that. Uh, so that survival gardener is more likely to try to figure out not just how I can use containers but how can I maximize my container growing so one of the big rages now is growing upside down tomatoes so you get a 5 gallon bucket cut a hole in it, and stick a tomato through the bottom and let the tomato hang down Well, survivalist is a lot more likely to go hey you know what I could plant a pepper on the top side of that and maxima- maximize that resource so that you're getting more from less a survival gardener is a lot more likely to plant a three sisters garden than a hobby gardener and that's where you plant corn and uh, once your corn gets going and it's up about a half a foot tall you come in and you plant some uh, pole beans and uh, they start to trail up your corn stalks and once the beans are up and going a little bit you come in and plant some winter squash and the winter squash vines go out and uh, uh, kind of mulch the ground for you and reduce evaporation and keep more moisture in and Of course, the beans are producing nitrogen because they're a legume, and they're going to provide some extra nitrogen for the corn, which is a uh, nitrogen-intensive plant. So survivalist gardener is a lot more likely to think of ways to symbiotically plant crops together to maximize production in space Uh, because, again, what they're saying is, even if I grow during this time when I have more than I need and, and the economy's decent, and I still have a job, and I can still pay all the bills, so much that I end up giving some stuff away, I'm actually just interested in knowing how much can I really grow. If I really had to depend on this, if we had to become vegetarians, not because we're afraid to eat animals, but because we're out of meat, and we, we just have to live on what we have, how much could I really feed my family with? He's a lot more likely to experiment with that. A survival gardener is also a lot more likely to dabble in permaculture, in particular my version of permaculture. There's a lot of people that consider permaculture simply sustainable agriculture. In other words, what I started with, you're doing natural composting, you're not using outside fertilizers, everything that comes out of the garden is either eaten or goes into the compost heap or is given to animals. The animals eat it, they process it, they turn it into manure, that's also composted. It goes back into the ground. And they they look at that and they call that permaculture. I don't consider that permaculture. And there's a reason. I consider that sustainable agriculture. That's exactly what it is. Agriculture is a process that requires human activity. That's what makes it agriculture. To me, permaculture are things that a human may play a part in, but once the system is placed, it requires very little to no human activity. In other words, if I plant an apple tree, I have to plant the tree. I have to make sure it's planted properly. I have to water it until it establishes a root system. Uh, there's a lot of things that I have to do initially to get that tree established. However, once that tree puts out a good root system and it's into its second year, you, you can't hardly kill it unless you poisoned it or something. Uh, it is it is what it is. It's a tree. And right now, if you're in your vehicle, look around. You probably see trees everywhere unless you live in a desert. If you're in a desert, you probably see cactuses. If you're in the Arctic tundra, you probably see mosses and legumes. These things grow all the time, and no one has to touch them. And to me, permaculture is when you take something that can provide food or another resource for you like that. And make it a component of what you're doing. And a survivalist is a lot more likely to think about how many things like that can I grow on my property as well. Uh, looking at things like growing uh, hazelnuts or filberts, depending on what you like to call them, and growing those shrubs, and they're producing nuts, and those nuts can be used for everything from simple, you know, use as a nut uh, to grinding and making a form of flour out of them. Uh, to growing things like Jerusalem artichokes, which are these little, the little small sunflower-looking plants that you see all over the southwest in the summertime to just grow on their own. They actually grow a tuber. Uh, and that tuber is, uh, is edible. It's actually kind of nutty and, and quite good eating. So those are some, if you're going to grow those, you've got to be careful where you grow them because they actually are invasive and will become a weed uh, if you're not careful. But if you have a big enough piece of land, there's no reason not to have a field of those things and you have a constant resupplying uh, source of food. Uh, or to grow, let's say, blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, anything like that, that once the plant system is established, it continues to come back and provide over and over and over again. Walnuts, pecans, pears, you know, plums. You get the idea. The survivalist gardener is more likely to bring in a complete variety of permaculture crops, not just a couple apple trees, right? Maybe some apples, some pears, some plums, some prunes, some peaches. You have different fruits coming in fresh at different times of the year that way. Uh, Blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries. I mean, if you look at just those right there, and if you have a few plants or shrubs or trees, trees of each on a property and you kind of need a bigger piece of property to do this but if you do that you know maybe throw some figs in there and a couple grapevines and some hardy kiwi fruits now you've got this this constant ongoing supply of fresh fruits and nuts to complement your vegetables you have a much more sustainable diet Coming from there. And if you can just produce a little bit from livestock or hunting and fishing on top of that, it's actually relatively easy for a person with a few acres that if they really wanted to, they got some good storage philosophy going and all to provide all the food that they could possibly need for a family of two, four, or six. It really can be done. And it's done all over the world right now. There are so many places where people are basically living agrarian lifestyles and providing for themselves and their family. A survivalist not necessarily looking to do that today. What they're looking to do is make sure if they had to, they could. That A lot of these things take time. You plant a walnut tree, you're looking at years before you're having a sustainable crop every year of walnuts. The same thing with pecans. The same thing with apples. It even takes uh, quite a few years for peaches uh, to get to that status. You have to excuse that noise, folks. We had a little bit of a technical glitch there. My headset actually kind of came apart on me. Uh, But, you know, that's what I'm saying, that these permaculture crops, they take time and even agriculture things like putting in raised beds, improving your soil, uh, getting it deep loamy, sandy soil that, that's just fluffy and produces even if you start out with raised beds and start out with pure compost and uh, vermiculite and uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, peat moss like that so that you're actually bringing in the dirt. Even if you start out that way, it takes time for the soil organisms to start doing their jobs. All this stuff takes time. It's an investment. It's an asset. And I think I think that's maybe one of the biggest things about the survivalist gardener versus the hobby gardener. The hobby gardener, this is something I do. This is something I like to do. I enjoy it. The survivalists might enjoy it. Folks, I love to garden. I love to build things. I love to grow things. I love to store food. You know, I love the concept that I can go out and build a solar oven, a solar dehydrator, and a garden, and I can cook and store food with absolutely no dependence on anything. You know, and that's fun to me. But on the other side of it, I see it as an asset. When I put in a bed and I create this, this, this incredible little micro environment of soil, It's not just something that grows a tomato, it's something that I own. They can't be taken from me it is an asset that will produce for me and my family for years a survivalist looks at black loamy earth in his backyard that way where a farmer looks at that earth and sees the asset is I can grow food and sell it the hobbyist says that's beautiful it feels good and it makes me happy and it puts food on my plate but the survivalist sees generations of production to provide for himself and his household so a lot of this. Is really a mentality. Maybe the biggest difference, though, than even the mentality is the motivation. The, The hobbyist is motivated by pleasure and maybe health. The farmer is motivated by profit. The survivalist is motivated by survival that I know that no matter what happens, as long as I can keep my family inside the four walls and under the roof of our home, that in my backyard, I have a capacity to provide sustenance for us. And that's the primary motivation that I have behind the gardening that I do. It's not just that it's great when people come over in the middle of the summer and we throw some food on the uh, grill and we we you know we cook some ribs or uh, steaks or what have you. We sit down we have this huge salad. And in the salad, there's maybe 15 varieties of greens. orach, amaranth, uh, New Zealand spinach, red Malabar spinach, different forms of lettuce, uh, kale, I mean, all these different green crops that we grow, uh, that we mix in and make these amazing salads, wrinkled, crinkled, crumpled crust, for God's sakes. All this heirloom stuff, and it's cool, and it tastes good, and people like it, and they're like, wow, I can't believe you just picked that 15 minutes ago, and we're eating it now. But the real thing is, that salad is nutritious, it's nourishing, and if we had to live on it, we could. Now, we'd probably be a lot thinner. And we probably wouldn't be as happy as uh, being able to eat a T-bone steak once in a while. But we know it's there, and we know that it can sustain us, and it can provide for us a large part, not everything, but a large part of the things that we're going to need if the worst should ever happen. And I think the survivalist is also a lot more connected with this agrarian roots than a lot of people uh, out there are. And I would put homesteaders into this category as well. Uh, I, I think that, this, for example, the Dervais family, which they're basically a micro-farm, and they do sell a lot of their product uh, to local restaurants and things like that. Um, but I would say they're very in touch with their agrarian roots, and they see what they're doing more as a homestead than a business. They want the lifestyle, and the business gives them the ability to pay the few monetary things that they have to pay for, and they still continue to live their lifestyle. They're not living the lifestyle so they can make a living. It's the other way around, and I think that's how most homesteaders are and I think most homesteaders are in one form or another also a survivalist so it's it's being in touch with this agrarian concept that is in the hearts of men. I think that we as human beings began our our, our walk on the planet as hunter gatherers uh, we we walked wherever we needed to go we found what we could we ate. And we killed the things that we uh, that we could for meat, or we, we and we learned to fish. We learned to sharpen sticks and make spears. We learned to sharpen twigs and make fish hooks and to make line and to make twine and make bows and arrows and eventually guns. And we became. This incredible society, if you really think about the various human societies that have existed and continue to exist throughout history, that have lived off of the earth. And somewhere along the way, we looked at the things that were growing around us, and we saw that over here was miner's lettuce, and we could pick that. And over here was lamb's quarters, and we could pick that. Well, wait, there's seeds on that. What if we prepared a nice area of ground and planted those seeds? Maybe it would come back next year, and we made the leap from just hunter-gatherer to agriculture agriculture. agriculture or agrarian societies. And some of them took this to the height where an entire city built up around the agriculture. A lot of people in the city or the town had nothing to do with farming anymore. Because they didn't have to travel, they were able to become cobblers and and blacksmiths and all these other things. But a lot of people stuck with this agrarian society and the hunter-gatherer as well. I mean, all the way up into, if you look at the way that people in rural Pennsylvania still live today, where I grew up as a child. Deer season, deer season is a holiday. Folks, the first day of deer season, school's closed. Where I went to high school, it's still that way. It was that way 30 years ago. People are like, yeah, of course it was. It's that way now. The first day of buck season is closed because the boys won't show up and half the girls won't either because they're going to be out in a deer stand trying to get a deer. And that deer is going into the deep freezer and it's going to become a meat component for the family. And if a family has three boys, two girls, and a dad and a mom, they're probably going to have everybody's deer tag filled by the end of the season if dad has anything to say about it. And at the same time, they're probably growing a garden in their backyard. And when trout season comes, comes up in the springtime everybody's going out and going fishing and there's a lot of families that are living that way today even though they have a day job they're still living that way that's that's ingrained in them i think the survivalist gardener understands that that is actually a pretty good way to live it's a pretty good lifestyle from from a variety of standpoints one it's a sustainable lifestyle it doesn't require a whole lot of money Right, You can spend a ton of money on hunting equipment and hunting gear today. You can spend a ton of money on fishing gear. You can spend a ton of money on gardening equipment. But you don't have to. The, the, just to provide enough for you know, a half a dozen people or less doesn't really require a lot of expense. And the things that you do have to buy can be lifelong or at least multi-decade long purchases, especially if you learn how to take care of things, build things, create things, and repair things. And that's where the survivalist gardener's mentality comes from. He's not just looking to grow a few things to eat; he's looking to make that garden a component of this holistic process. Where the you know the hobbyist gardener comes home and uh, throws, you know, pulls a few weeds out of the garden and goes on and watches late-night television and, and goes to bed and maybe gets up and goes and plays squash at the local racquet club, right? He's kind of a yuppie. Where the survivalist gardener is saying, okay, I've got my garden here, but I'm planning my fishing trips, my hunting trips, or I'm doing livestock as well. And they're, they're learning how to, to acquire skills as well. So the disgardening is not a one-dimensional thing to them. It's it's a spoke in this, this wheel that you know that, that turns on a daily basis and is of their lifestyle, and, and that's all through this connection that most survivalists feel. That I think is a lot of what drives them in the first place. It's this show that I did last week where I talked about our ten guiding principles and things that your father or your grandfather probably drilled into your head. You know, th- th- things like you know, if if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? which came out in our principles as, you know, if you don't get to be a leader because of your title. All of those things, all of those principles in that show, and if you haven't listened to it, you might want to go listen to that show, because it really speaks to what this is all about. But all of those principles go back to understanding value and understanding the human component on the planet. And you almost can't really be in touch with that without taking some control over what you eat and where your food comes from. And if you want to take control over your food and where you eat and where it comes from, there is no better way to do that than to put your hands down into the earth and bring something forth from it. And that connection... I believe, is in the heart of all survivalist gardeners. And a lot of people that are survivalists that have never really done gardening, and I'm talking to more and more people, it seems like every person that listens to this show that's talking to me that's never gardened is gardening this year they're doing it. They're, they're, they're making the step. And what I can tell you is the first time that you do it, you're going to have setbacks you're going to have failures, but you're going to have successes. And those successes will breed confidence and competence. And as you continue to do it, by the time you do it two or three years, you'll wonder, how did I ever live without this as part of my life? And if anybody were to ever remove you from a situation where you could do it, you would feel like there's this gaping hole. Because you'll complete something when you do it. And I'm not trying to be too metaphysical or etherical or spiritual or religious or however you want to characterize it. What I'm just telling you is a fact that humans evolved, regardless of your spiritual or religious beliefs, humans evolved to a degree on the planet It's needing to feed themselves. It's a very short piece of human history where when you were hungry, you took something called money and went to a store and purchased it. It's a tiny, you know, if if today is midnight in one day on the planet in the entire human existence, it's 10 seconds to midnight that that was even possible. Most of human history has been humans having to take Action in the form of growing food, harvesting food, or hunting or fishing to feed themselves. And because that's the case, it's written into your genetic code at this point. In the, the timid, uh, small, uh, thick glasses wearing accountant that's sitting behind a desk right now, running Excel spreadsheets to comp- compute how to do a financial forecast, inside his heart beats the hunting drum. It's in there. The sounds, the scents, and the smell of the jungle, the lion hunter's heart is in that human Because that's where we all come from, and it's why when we do these things, we start to have a sense of purpose, and we start to feel like we're doing something that really matters, and beyond everything else, we begin to take control over our individual lives and our individual situations. And that is the ultimate difference. For everybody except the survivalist gardener, gardening is a means to an end. It's something you do to get a given result. For the survivalist gardener, gardening is about taking control back from the systems that are and making it a part of their life and saying, I control this. This is mine. And because of this, I have a certain level of freedom that cannot be taken from me because I've been giving the power and the knowledge, the power in my hands and the knowledge in my mind to create, to literally create sustenance. That's what being a survivalist gardener is all about. And it's a pretty deep concept for something as simple as turning some dirt over and planting some seeds. But it's reality. When you think about the modern systems that are, the medical system, the financial system, the distribution system, the energy system, the government system, the military system, all of these systems combined, they all revolve around the concept that if you don't eat every day, you'll die. The only thing that keeps people willing to submit... To these government authorities that are out there, is a feeling of dependence. And the greatest dependence you have is your ability to know that tomorrow you'll live, and if you're a parent, to know that your children will. And the biggest thing you need to make that happen, other than shelter so you don't freeze to death, is food. Water's pretty easy to come by. We can get water. There's a million ways to do it. Food is what you pay money for Food is why you go to work there's a reason there's a reason that there's the old saying I got to put food on the table How many times have you heard somebody say that got to put food on the table why do you work I got to put food on the table what's a man's shop bring home the bacon right bring home the bacon put food on the table these sayings are deep in our in our in our, our cultures. And it's survivalist when you start to produce, procure, harvest, hunt, and fish for your own food. You know what you're saying? I can do this myself. I'm not dependent on somebody else to do it. And when you do that, your lifestyle, your mentality, and your look at everything else in life begins to to change. It's liberating, and indeed it's revolutionary. So if you're gardening, start to see it that way. It'll empower you. If you're thinking about gardening and you need motivation, think about it that way. It will motivate you to do it. And if up till now you've been saying, you know, gardening is really not for me, think about it that way. and It may change your mind. This has been Jack Spirico with another remote survival podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life when times get tough, or even if they don't.